Thank you, guys. Thank you, band. Um, just to introduce you briefly to uh, Adam. Adam is a friend of mine, and he is a youth pastor at First Assembly of God, where uh, Jackie and I and a couple of y'all go to church. Um, as I was praying, uh, praying about retreat speaker for, for this weekend, he was on my mind, he's on my heart. I've been looking forward to a time that he could kind of connect with you guys and you guys could hear from him. Because um, whenever I've heard him teach in the past, it's always blessed me. And so uh, I asked him, and he said, hey, I've got that weekend empty, which he really didn't because it's like missions convention at his church. But he said, man, I'll make it empty for Kyle, and I really appreciate that. And so this is Adam Steinbach, and I'll you know, turn it over to you. Is that okay to put my Bible on? Yeah. All right. We all have favorite memory verses, Bible verses, favorite Bible verses. I'll start. I'll start. Give you time time to think of your favorite Bible verse. Mine is uh, since I was like real little and I have no idea why. Uh, I'm starting to maybe learn a little bit why, but it's 2 Timothy 2.15. Uh, it says, Study to show yourself approved to workmen who needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Uh, it's kind of my life first. Uh, anybody else have one that they would like to share or don't want to share, but you're, we would share anyway? Go ahead. <laughs> I'm kind of more than don't want to share, but we'll share. Anyway, okay. But, uh... I appreciate those kind. <laughs> um, Matthew 7, 25 through 34. It's kind of long, but it talks okay. about not worrying. I'm like I remember I sat in high school and I had a lot of anxiety problems. Very cool. Very cool. Anybody else? Just a phrase, a word, a number. <laughs> Jackie? I like Isaiah 43. Okay. It says, you walk in the water, so I'll be with you, boys. Yes. And later it says, you're precious to me, you're honored, and I love you. Yeah. Very cool. Really yeah. Who else? Somebody else, yeah. Matthew 627. Okay. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a, add a single hour to your life? And the answer is nope. <laughs> okay, good, good. <laughs> it's good to answer those things. Uh, well, it's not and it's always moving forward. That's a little creepy. Yeah. Um, 
We give account for every idle word that we say. We give account for all of our actions. And, you know, because before Christ, uh, when we ask Jesus into our life, we have that moment of salvation. He wipes everything away and it doesn't matter. But from that moment on, we're being judged by everything that we do. It's not going to send us to hell, but it is going to be placed before him and basically a, a like a match lit to it. And what's good will remain. And it's going to feel really awkward when we have like a handful of stuff when we're like walking to give it to Jesus when Billy Graham has like U-Haul trucks full of like, you know, anyway. Uh, yeah, those those verses terrify me. Any, anything else? The verse that terrifies me, I'm going to talk about one in just a moment, not to like shift directions. I just feel like we need to go here. But uh, one that terrifies me is uh, if you cause a little one to stumble, it'd be better for you to have a millstone, which is a big stone used to crush grain and things and they'd use it actually in bigger areas so some of them could be pretty large so it says better for a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the deepest part of the ocean um, than to cause somebody else to stumble because of your actions like that terrifies me I feel bad like I have made a lot of people mess up probably by things I've done or said anything else any other terrifying haunting verses Besides, like, the whole book of Revelation, like you said. Like, what are they talking about? What are those creatures coming after me? We're gone before that, right? I'm gone. I'm out. Uh, let me share one that, uh, since nobody else has one, let me share one. Uh, and I won't take very long tonight, but I just want to share one that, that uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's terrifying as much as it kind of is haunting or... Uh, gives me a, a respect and a reverence for God and His Holy Spirit. Um, uh, if you have your Bible, Psalm 51. Psalm 51. We'll go there and then we're going <clears> to <throat> read a few verses in Psalm 51 and then we're going to uh, backtrack and look at the life of the person who wrote this psalm and why he wrote it and go into some detail there. Uh, Psalm 51, we'll start in verse 1. It says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. We've sang about this all night long. Uh, <clears throat> Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me, and we all know this verse, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Let's pray quickly. Father God, Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak to us, that you would speak to our hearts tonight. Um, Lord, just have your way. Whatever that is, I just pray that you would uh, have your way in each of our lives. Amen. 
Uh, so a little context on this verse. This is David. Um, David is sharing this, this passage, and uh, the top of the scripture gives some indication of what happened. It says, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him, after he had gone into Bathsheba, and we know that whole story, right? Uh, so David is supposed to go to war. Uh, it's that time of year where all the kings, I, I've never quite understood why all the kings just decided at a certain time of year to go fight and kill each other, but they do. Uh, just a guy thing, I guess. Like, we just need to get some aggression out in the spring, and so we're just going to go kill each other. Uh, but he decides to stay home. Uh, I've got enough people, they can handle this, I'm going to relax. I don't know what's going through his life, I don't know what moment he's in, I don't know how stressed he is. Uh, I don't know, maybe he's in a place like some of you, uh, college stressful. You guys gave me like a lot of anxious and worry verses. Um, <laughs> so I can, I, I can relate that uh, you guys have a lot on your plate. And so I don't know what he was, maybe he was in that mode and just says, I just need a weekend to get away. Uh, so he finds himself at the top of his palace, and we know the story. He looks out, and all of a sudden he sees this beautiful woman uh, across the way bathing on a roof. A little awkward. Um, like, I don't know how tall the roof was, how many people saw, how many people didn't. I don't, I don't, under, I don't know. Um, but David obviously saw. Um, and he didn't just see, but he goes, you know, I'm the king, and for whatever reason I have felt entitled to get what I want. I don't know how he got to this point again, where he's at spiritually, where his relationship is with God at this moment. Um, but he didn't start that way in a field with stinky sheep, but he did end up here. And so he says, I want to chat with this beautiful lady. So he brings her over, cooks her dinner, or maybe she cooks him dinner, or maybe he probably has servants cook them dinner. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, they don't share all that stuff in there because it's irrelevant, but, but it's still fun to guess kind of what they ate and what they did. And uh, Bible can be really exciting when you start trying to fill in all the blanks. Um, and so I don't know what they, what they had for dinner. And then uh, one thing led to another. Uh, maybe they had too much to drink. Um, may, I have no idea. She is a married woman. And he is a four times over married man. Not divorced. They're all still his wives, except for maybe Michael. He's kicked her out already. Uh, woman, get out of here. Uh, and so if a guy ever says that to you, no, I'm just joking. Uh, so they get busy. They have fun. And she ends up pregnant. Uh, and I'll let Matt talk through that whole process with you later, maybe in the morning. Um, if you have questions, please. Uh, can, what's that? I, I'm just talking through the story. We're, we're actually going to go into 1 Samuel and talk in chapters 10, 16. Uh, 10's chapter 10 and chapter 16. But right now, uh, we're still in Psalm 51. Uh, so, uh, she ends up pregnant, and David goes, how in the world did that happen? And uh, hopefully he had some advisor help him through that again. Uh, and, and he goes, I've got to fix this. Uh, let me call her husband back. And by the way, her husband just happens to be one of David's 30 mighty men. One of David's 30 closest men. Um, if you can believe it or not, uh, talk about being a horrible friend. 
Um, and so he goes, let me bring him back and uh, we'll set something up where he can go home. And I'm just going to ask him some things about the war. And so he asks him and he goes, hey, don't go back. Just stay the night. Go have fun with your wife. And, uh, and maybe you can get her pregnant and we'll pretend like it's your kid. This is the reality of the story. The Bible would be like rated triple X if we put it in video form. Um, and Uriah, though, is a godly man, and he says absolutely not, and he sleeps outside the door. So the next day, David goes back and gets him drunk and tries that approach, and he still is more godly than David, and nothing happens. He goes, i got to get rid of this dude. Like, this isn't happening his wife's going to be showing here pretty soon, and everybody's going to know it's not Uriah's baby. And we'll have to be on Jerry Springer and make all this stuff happen. I, like, it's a mess. Let me send him back with his own death letter. You guys know this story. I'm just having fun with it for a moment. Um, so he sends him back with a letter that he obviously doesn't open. Again, honorable, because if he opened it, there's no way he goes into the scenario he does. Uh, They put him out at the front of the line. Everybody steps back. Like, this is the worst-case scenario. And hes I I can only imagine what's going through his mind when he's looking around with all these arrows coming and everybody's deserting him. Like, what just happened? And Uriah is such a cool guy that he even gets his name in the genealogy of Jesus. Now, we know that David and Bathsheba get married. Uriah dies. They get married. And they have another son because there are consequences to our sin. Thus, David and Bathsheba's first kid had to die. Um, And so there's a lot of consequences here that happen for David before he or during or in the middle of or after uh, when he writes this Psalm 51. Um, But I love the genealogy. It says... Uh, David, it mentions David and Bathsheba, whose husband was Uriah. If you guys go back and look in the genealogy of Jesus, it says that. And I love that he puts Uriah's name, that God thought enough about Uriah being so honorable that he didn't even have a kid in the mix, but he was still put there right next to David's name. It's pretty cool. King David, who's like the greatest man ever, and Uriah gets his name right there. Um, So just a, a word on honor. Um, it's very important to God. Uh, so, so we see all this happen, and, and uh, David says these words in verse 11. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. This is what he cried out to God after this sin. This is what his desire was. Obviously, he wanted his son, his kid, his child to live. He obviously didn't want everything that happened, happened. How many of you have ever done something? Don't raise your, you don't have to raise your hand, but you've done something. And afterward you go, how did this happen? How did I get here? How did, how did this scenario get completely out of control and out of hand? This was not my intention, but sin will always take you further than you want to go and will always keep you there longer than you ever intended to stay. Let me say it one more time. Sin will always take you further than you intended to go and keep you there longer than you ever intended to stay. And so David finds himself there. David finds himself there. So let's backtrack just a little bit to David's beginning and look through his life, look through Saul's life, um, and, and see how this all takes place. So why he says, don't take your Holy Spirit. You can do anything else. 
You can take anything else. It's a, I believe that it's implied in this chapter, in this verse, that David is basically saying, if you want to do anything else to me, you can. If you want to take the kingdom from me, you can. And I have proof of that because when Absalom, his son, comes in to do that very thing, take his kingdom, David walks out of the city and says later, and you can read it in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 15, I think it is, uh, where Absalom uh, comes in and and David leaves and he goes, I'm just going to chill out here. And uh, if the Lord wants me to come back and it's his will for me to be king, then I'll come back. And he'll make a way, and if not, I'm content just being out here. This is where I started, and I'm okay with that. As long as I have his presence and his spirit. You guys see that? The most important thing to David was his Holy Spirit. Not my position, not my title, not anything else. Not my grades, not my boyfriend or my girlfriend, not any of that stuff. My my priority is the Holy Spirit. And so we go back and look, and I'm, I'm curious why he feels this way, <clears throat> why, he's, why he is this way. So if we go back to 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 6, we look at Saul's life. And Saul, <clears throat> we, we look at the country of Israel, and, and they say, we want to have a king. And Samuel says, no, you shouldn't have a king. And they go, well, we want a king. And he goes, there's going to be consequences to this. And they go, we don't care. We want a king anyway. So they do what they want, and they get what they want, and they get Saul, who looks kingly and, and is all these things. And he actually starts off really, really good. He's not a horrible king like we just assume. And actually, if we, if we take count of who sinned more, it would probably be David over Saul. Um, but we're going to look at their heart for just a moment. 1 Samuel 10, 6, it says, The Spirit of the Lord, this is talking to Saul. The Spirit of the Lord will control you. You will prophesy with them and you'll be transformed into a different person. 1 Samuel 10, 6, and we find this happens. He says he hangs out with a group of prophets. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon Saul. He begins to prophesy, and they look at him, and they go, Is Saul one of the prophets too? Like, he's really cool. And Samuel goes, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it, and it'll prosper. And he goes out, and he begins winning all these battles. He waited on the Lord. He surrounded himself with great people. And then whatever his hand found to do will prosper. And so maybe you guys need to take note of that pattern tonight. He waited on the Lord. Samuel said, wait seven days. He does this twice, and we're going to go through the second one in a minute. He says, wait seven days. Wait on the Lord. And after the seven days, I'm going to come. We'll sacrifice. The Spirit of God is going to fall upon you because you're surrounding yourself with prophets. You're surrounding yourself with godly people. So after you wait on God, after you spend time in His presence, this is the first priority, right? You say, bento, built in, not tacked on. My priority is Him. And second of all, you surround yourself with godly influence, with godly friends. And then, whatever your hand finds to do, it's going to prosper. In Psalm 37, 4, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and then He'll give you the desires of your heart. Whatever, if you're struggling to figure out what you're wanting to do in life, I know that we change, how many, have, have any of you changed majors already? I mean, this is a struggle. The struggle is real. And so he says, whatever your hand finds to do, prosper. If you do this and this, then you can do this. And so we see his life, and then in 1 Samuel 16, actually in 13, but then we see this passage in 16, but in 13 he says, he says, wait. 
for me again. He finds himself in the exact, almost exact location at Gilgal. He started there, ends there. And I could go through all what Gilgal means, but I'm not going to. But but Samuel says the same thing. And this is the famous one. He said, wait for me seven days. This is the second time he's done it. Wait for me seven days. And then we look at who Saul surrounded himself with. He's surrounding himself with men in the army who are scared, terrified, have no reverence or respect of God or the things of God. They're running. We see that he started with 3,000 men and then he ends up with 600 men. I mean, he is surrounding himself with people who are not lifting him up, not helping him. He gets antsy. He's so worried about losing their attention. He's not concerned about losing his attention. So he doesn't wait the way he's supposed to, sacrifices himself. And then we see that whatever his hand does, does not prosper. You guys see the parallels there? Twice. Wait seven days. Who are you surrounding yourself? What is your hand doing? The first time he waits, surrounds himself with good people and goes on to do great things. The second time he doesn't, surrounds himself with ungodly people and then finds himself in this losing place to the point where he says in 1 Samuel 16, Now the Spirit of the Lord left Saul. And it didn't just leave, but now an evil spirit began to torment him. The Spirit left him. And we see the Spirit in, in, in the Old Testament, New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Spirit would come upon somebody and then lift off after a while um, for a certain purpose. Like we see with Samson, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he became strong. And I don't really think that Samson was buff. I think he looked more like who's a scrawny Pee Wee Herman or something. Like, like the people were in awe that this man could do something. And if you got this big buff guy, they're not going to look in awe. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, gave him great strength, and then he would come off. And then we see Jesus, the Spirit of the Lord, rests upon him like a dove and stays. And then New Testament, the Spirit of the Lord comes and dwells within us and stays. And so the Spirit of the Lord left. And then we see David into the picture. This is where we start seeing David. David was a man of God. He just became anointed in 1 Samuel 16, 13. One verse before it says the Spirit of the Lord left Saul, he comes to David. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord took control of David just like he did Saul from that day forward. And so now Saul's being tormented by this evil spirit and says, I've got to do something. And so he hears about David. And in 23, in verse 23 of chapter 16, it says, Whenever the spirit from God would trouble Saul, David would pick up his lyre and play. And Saul would then be relieved, feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. Whenever the spirit of God, the evil spirit, troubled Saul, David would pick up his guitar, his harp, his piano, whatever whatever instrument you want to think of, he'd play it. And because the Spirit of the Lord of, that was in him is greater than anything in this world, correct? The evil spirit would leave and then Saul would be relieved. And let me pause for a moment and say that sometimes your most unassuming gifts... David fought a Goliath and he was a great warrior, but it was his harp that gave him access to the king that eventually gave him access to slay a giant. So sometimes it's your unassuming things that will get you the farthest in life, right? Where I'm weak, he's strong, not in my strengths and my things that I can boast in. So don't, don't shy away from those unassumed gifts in your life just because they're unpopular. Because at some point, the musician 
becomes really famous, lots, making lots of money. And what do the football players listen to before they go out to the game? That same music from that same person that they used to make fun of in high school or middle school or whatever, right? Right? You guys are pumping me up, but like I made fun of you two years ago, right? Uh, so so don't, don't, uh, don't let those unassumed gifts leave. And so whenever the Spirit of God troubled Saul, now, now David is the son-in-law to the king. He's married his daughter, Michael. And David gets a front row seat to what life without the Spirit of God looks like. David gets a front row seat to see what tormented life without the Spirit of God looks like. To see what a troubled, anxious, worrisome, lonely, frustrating, insert your word in there that applies to your life, what it looks like without the Holy Spirit. And I believe in this moment when David is confronted by Nathan the prophet right after he sins with Bathsheba and kills Uriah and his son dies and all this stuff happens and Nathan confronts David. I believe in this moment that there, I I can't say this for certain, but I believe that there was a flashback moment that says Saul was in the same place I'm in right now. He sinned. He sinned. And when Saul sinned, he, he, instead of saying, oh, Don't let your Holy Spirit leave me. Don't take me from your presence. Saul goes, Samuel, stay with me. Make me look good in front of all these people. Like my army's out there. I need them to know that you're still with me. He was so concerned about what they thought. And I love David is so concerned about what he thought. See the difference there? And so he looks back and he goes, the same thing happened to Samuel that's happening to me. In fact, the sin wasn't any worse or greater. Mine might be considered in today's world greater than his sin. But I remember those moments playing for Saul and watching the tormented life he had without the presence and the Spirit of God. And I think he looks back and goes, this is my moment. We all have a moment like this in our life. And this was David's moment where he says, I can end up like him. I can end up tormented I can end up frustrated, anxious, always looking behind my back, seeing if somebody, his response to Absalom would have been way different. I could be a spear thrower just like Saul was. I remember what it looks like to live without the presence, and I cannot do that. I don't think I can handle that. So God, you take away from me anything you want, but I cannot be like that. I cannot end up like that. I cannot end up committing suicide like he did. He got to the place in his life. His son died. Everybody's out. He knows that David's going to be king. The Philistines are about to make a mockery of him. He goes, I can't do this anymore. And he commits suicide. Saul does. And David said, I just can't do this. Don't take your presence from me. Take my kingdom. Take anything else you want. But I need your Holy Spirit in my life. I need your Holy Spirit in my life. Let me get into your business just for a little bit. I don't know any of you, so it's okay. I can do this. What does the Holy Spirit do? What does the Holy Spirit do for us? Comforts. Comforts us. What else? What's that? Gives us strength. What else does the Holy Spirit do? 
I'm almost done, I promise. What else? The more you answer, the faster you answer, protection, the faster I'll get done. Come fix us. <laughs> Come fix us, okay? Uh, how, do we, how do we earn salvation? Not earn, but how do we get, gain salvation? What is the process of salvation? It's not a trick question. What's the process of salvation? <laughs> I promise. Like, I'm not trying to trick you guys. I just want to talk through this with you. Conviction, knowing Jesus. What does conviction lead to? Knowing Jesus, but what does conviction lead to? Repentance, and then repentance leads to? Knowing Jesus. Yeah, okay, okay. He, got, he said it twice, and then he changed his answer. He thought he was going to be wrong. So, so, unless the Spirit draws somebody, right? Am I correct, Matt? This guy's like a Bible whiz. Unless he's like, I'm terrified because he's making sure I'm saying everything. Unless the Spirit draws us to repentance, right? Unless he draws us, there is no salvation, right? So if we continue in sin... If we go down this path, David had a moment in his life. We all have this moment in his life. If we go down this path of sin, if we go down this path of of unrepentance, or I'm just doing this to make everybody else happy, or to please my parents, or to please this, if we go down this path where the Holy Spirit is not the most important thing to us, we're going to find ourselves pushing Him further and further away, where we can't hear that voice of conviction. And without conviction... There is no repentance. If you don't feel bad for doing something, how can you ever say, I'm sorry for it? And if you can't repent, there is no salvation. That's a very scary place to be in. That's, that's what I would like to call the, the eventual the blaspheme of the Holy Spirit. There's two places where it says that there's no repentance. And rather than saying that it's either or, I, I like to say that those moments that confuse us in the Bible, that they're actually both and. It says blaspheme the Holy Spirit there's no longer repentance for. And then later it says continual willful sin there is no remission for. And so the longer we push Him away and continue down our own path... And we don't find ourselves in a moment where we say, God, you can take everything away from me. I just don't want to lose you. The weaker his voice gets. And the more we find ourselves wanting to please everybody but him. And if you find yourself in a place where you're, where you're wanting to please everybody and you're not concerned about him, we need to do a heart check. We need to do a soul check. We need to do a spirit check. Because there might be something going on that we said, we've got to fix this. She's doing a spirit check right now. It was, a, it was on me. Uh, it's the Holy Spirit all over her right there. We've got to do a check in our, in our hearts and in our spirit. Because there will be a day where we're going to stand before Him and you're not going to have your buddies around. You're not going to have Matt and Jackie around to say good things for you before God. It's going to be you and him. Did you do my work? Did you care about me? Did you serve me? Did you do these things unto the least of these? What was your relationship with the Holy Spirit like? There's only one person to please. 
and other people might not understand it. There's a lot of people that don't understand me and don't understand the move that I made. I, I lived in Nebraska, Colorado. My parent, my dad's a pastor, but then I moved to Middle Tennessee, and then moving to Memphis, everybody told me it was a horrible idea. It's the armpit of Tennessee, they said. It, uh, it's violent. It's this. It's that. I, I drove into Memphis the first time, and the Holy Spirit, something clicked in me and said, this is home. And I fell in love with it the moment I, I drove down Germantown Parkway on, on the 40. And it doesn't make sense to everybody else, but I'm not here to please everybody else, and neither was David. Do you realize what he said a few verses before? He said, against you and you only have I sinned. I can name a whole other list of other people in that passage of Scripture with him and Bathsheba that he sinned against. And yet, in David's mind, the only person that matters is him. And when it boils down to it, that really is the only other person that matters is him. So tonight, I'd like us to do a, a soul check. David also said, search me, O God. I pray this prayer often, and I hope you do too as well. Search me, O God. See if there's any wicked way in me. See if there's any fault that maybe I'm not even seeing myself. Find in me wrongs that I can fix because I desperately want to maintain union, union communion with your Holy Spirit. I desperately need that. And if I don't have that, then this life is not worth living. Is that where you're at tonight? Is that how you could say your relationship with God is tonight? Or could he disappear for a few weeks and you never know? Bow your heads with me just for a moment. I know there's... Not many of us, and I don't want to embarrass anybody, so I'm just going to have you raise your hand, and then maybe we'll all stand up at the end and pray. And Matt, I'm not sure how you want to end this thing, but um, with nobody looking around, uh, if if you're if you're finding yourself living in a in a repetitive sin that you just can't seem to get over, and you're struggling with it, but most of the time you find yourself losing. And it doesn't mean that you want to do it, but you do find yourself going back to the same thing over and over and over again. And you're ready for a breakthrough. You're ready for something to stop. Paul even says, after he says, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I, I find myself doing. And then he says, who can save me from this wretched man that I am? And if you feel that way tonight, if you just slip your hand up real quick, uh, you don't have to keep it up. You can put it back down. Thank you, guys. Quite a few hands up so you don't feel like you're alone here tonight. My second question, I guess, would go the maybe opposite direction. If your relationship is not like David's, with the Holy Spirit where He is all you need and you find yourself very capable and able of living without Him day to day, whether it's based on your own talents or abilities or whatever it is, just like Saul thought he could because he was taller and bigger and stronger and all these things. If you find yourself not having a relationship with the Holy Spirit like David did, but you want a relationship like that, 
You want to rely on him. You want to find yourself in a place where you can say, take everything away from me. As long as I have the Holy Spirit, I'm fine and I'll be okay. If you want that type of relationship, raise your hands for me tonight. Say, I need that relationship. You can put your hands back down. Thank you. Some of you raise your hand for the first one. Some of you raise your hand for the second one. And again, I don't, I don't know you guys very well. Um, but I know the Holy Spirit's doing some work in your life tonight. So if you would, you can keep your eyes closed. But go ahead and stand up just for a moment if you would. some time to maybe spread out, be alone, find a moment to journal or to talk to God and share your thoughts about this. But I'm going to pray and and maybe you can pray something like this as well, Um, especially those that raise your hand on the the first time. Uh, But Father, tonight, we're so sorry. God, we're so sorry. Lord, I'm, I'm saying this for me. I'm sorry. I know there are so many things that, that are not right in my life. So many times that I put other things above you. So many times that I fall back into those same sick, disgusting habits or, or thoughts or whatever it is, Lord. I know that I know God, the temptation, the struggle, how hard it can be. Lord, and and I pray that these students would not beat themselves up over this because that's not my intention at all tonight. There's no condemnation for those that are in Jesus Christ, but, but that we would learn to repent, but then understand and come back to the fullness of your grace and your love. Lord, I have three kids and, and they mess up. And there's discipline, there's consequences, there's all those things, but my love has never left. So, so some of you tonight, I, I feel like you need to hear that, that his love isn't left. It doesn't matter how many times you messed up, he still will draw you back. Just don't push him away any longer. So for some of you tonight, you need to repent. And maybe it's the hundredth time that you're repenting for the same thing. And that's okay, but you need to repent. When you find yourself alone or even right now in this moment. And then I want to pray a second prayer for that second group. And and to close this out tonight before you guys just find your space alone. and, And then I'll give it over to Matt. But Father, God, I pray that you would give us a heart like David. A heart that chases after you. A heart that chases relentlessly after you. As as relentless as you pursue us, I pray that we would in turn be that relentless in our pursuit after you. Lord, let us get to the place in our life where we can stand before you and say, I've not sinned against anyone else, only against you, and you alone have I sinned. And do not cast me from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. I cannot live without you. Lord, and if we don't feel that right now, I pray that you give each of us the realization that we cannot do this without you. 
We can't do it on our own merit. We can't do it on our own grades. We can't do it on our own skill set or abilities or talents that you've given us, Lord. We can't do it. We need you. So, Lord, I pray in my life that you would create in me a clean heart. Give me pure hands. Lord, and I pray, God, that you would uh, help me to have a heart after you that can say these words honestly and truthfully. I, I need your Holy Spirit. I long for you to convict me. I delight in your law. I delight in your commands. Lord, I I long for your discipline because I know that it's bringing me back always into right relationship with you. So, Lord, I don't shy away from these things. I don't shy away from the consequences. I don't shy away from the discipline. I don't shy away from these things because when it all comes to an end, the only thing that matters is that I found my way back to you again. And Lord, I pray that this would be the prayer of these students tonight. Lord, that we find our way back to you again and again and again. Lord, and understand so fully your love that while we were yet sinners, while we were at the worst of our worst, when we were worthless and meaningless, that's when you died for us. That's when you loved us. That's when you cared for us. So Holy Spirit, come in this room and just shower and lavish your love upon us tonight and upon these students.